Hello and welcome to LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Nurse Assessment Coordination, ANAC. I'm your host, Rebecca, and today I'm here with Jane Belt, ANAC Curriculum Development Specialist, to continue a podcast series that will provide information about Medicare services in skilled nursing facilities. In today's broadcast, we will cover the definition and explanation of skilled nursing and rehabilitation services of original Medicare and how these Medicare benefits impact resident care in skilled nursing facilities. Welcome, Jane. Oh, thanks, Rebecca. Glad to be here. Jane, considering the technical and level of care requirements for skilled care that you reviewed in our last session, can you talk more about how to decide if a resident has the need for skilled services? Oh, sure. And it it does seem that despite knowing those technical and clinical requirements that we went over last time, one of the hardest decisions to put into practice is still, is this resident skilled? And again, I just have to say it one more time to remind everyone that despite our changes that are coming to PDPM, the new payment system, October 1st, Medicare coverage policies are not changing one bit. That's got to be, you know, it's two separate issues. You've got payment and you got Medicare coverage. Okay, so back to my favorite reference for talking about skilled services, which would be the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual, and it's chapter eight. And if anyone wants to look it up, it's section 30.2.1. And the definition of skilled services says that, yes, the services are ordered by the physician. The services require the skills of a qualified technical or professional health personnel, such as registered nurses, licensed practical or vocational nurses, physical therapist, occupational therapist, speech language pathology, or audiologist. And the definition goes on, must be provided directly by or under the general supervision of these skilled personnel to assure the safety of the patient and to achieve the medically desired result. And that medically desired result is going to come from that plan of care that we all design and we all work on. We know what we want for this resident. The rule also, just to make sure there's no confusion, the rule goes on to add that general supervision, because that was part of it. It said directed by or under the general supervision. General supervision is initial direction, periodic inspection of the activity. However, that supervisor does not always need to be physically present or even on the premises when the assistant is performing services. And another note is that skilled care may be necessary to not only improve a current condition, but also to maintain a current condition of the resident or to prevent or slow further deterioration of that resident's condition. So it is, what were we planning? 
Okay, Jane, with that definition in mind, is there more that can describe skilled? Oh, absolutely, Rebecca. And I guess one thing that I know is so frustrating to folks is, well, where can I go and find all these examples? I, I want a book that I can go to and I can find out whether this service that we're providing to a resident is direct or indirect, is it scalable and all that stuff. The problem is there isn't such a book. The book, it comes closest to it, is this chapter eight of the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual. That's why I keep referring to it, because it is our guidelines. And also, that's why our Medicare meetings are so important, because it does take the team to determine if the services provided will meet all the requirements that we've got. So again, I'm gonna use some verbiage from chapter eight that I think is helpful for me when I try to sort thing, could this be skilled? The verbiage is the services must be so inherently complex that they must be performed by or under the supervision of professional or technical personnel. The nature of the service and the skills required for safe and effective delivery are the deciding factors. A resident's diagnosis or prognosis should never be the sole factor in a coverage decision. You know, and this is where I know folks have heard the words indirect and direct skilled services. And this is where in chapter eight, that it becomes clearer what indirect skilled services are. So in determining whether those services rendered in a SNF constitute covered care, it's necessary to determine whether other individual services are skilled and whether in light of that total condition of the resident, skilled management of the services provided is needed, even though many or all of the specified services were unskilled, meaning it didn't take a professional so here are some examples of why I'm bringing up the topic of indirect skilled services, because I do believe this is an important area. I do believe with the transition of our payment system to PDPM that um, these indirect skilled services are gonna be even more important that we recognize and pick them up. So a couple examples. Here's an 81-year-old woman who is aphasic and confused. She suffers from hemiplegia, congestive heart failure, atrial fibrillation, and she has suffered a cerebrovascular accident. She's incontinent, has a stage one pressure injury, and is unable to communicate or make her needs known. So even though no specific service provided to this resident would be what most people would think would be skilled, the patient's condition requires skilled nursing involvement to manage that plan of care for that total care that she needs to see if she's going to make progress, to evaluate whether there needs to be a change in the treatment plan, change in the interventions. And here is 
where documentation makes the difference. That medical condition must be described, going through the aphasia and the confusion, and describe how she's doing. And then the medical condition, yes, it's described, and how the skilled services are going to support the goals on the care plan for the resident. We want to describe the observations being made to determine if she's making progress. How is that care plan being managed? And that falls to the task of the nurse. Thank you. That was a helpful example. Okay, Jane. You mentioned documentation must support the skilled services. Would you provide some more information about that, please? Sure. And the importance of documentation, because I'll probably say it, you know, 50 times in just these few minutes, but that importance of the documentation can't be overstated. And, well, who's going to check? Well, yes, a surveyor could look, but they don't necessarily look a whole lot at whether the documentation meets the skilling requirements. Who's going to look is your Medicare administrative contractor that could request additional information from the facility when they're trying to decide whether or not to pay a claim. The only thing that a MAC can use is documentation. They don't get to see the resident. They don't get to talk to the resident. So our documentation has to talk, describe the resident, and show that, yes, the services provided need to show that the services did require the skills of the professional technical personnel. So the medical record is going to be based on the nature and severity of the illness. Are we delivering services to meet their medical needs, following accepted standards of practice? And were the services appropriate as far as how long they lasted, how much did we provide? The documentation, again, paint the picture, should show the degree to which the resident met the goals outlined in the care plan. And then the documentation will really tell, speak out, yes, this resident needed skilled services. In that same chapter eight, but now section 30.2.2.1, CMS even talks about not using vague subjective notes. And I give examples of stable. That tells nothing about the resident. Or continue with the plan of care. What does that mean? Or when, since the last response to the care, what? what? <laughs> you know, it's not describing what's going on with the resident, what the nurse did, the skilled services, and how the resident responded. It's got to be described. Thank you, Jane. It sounds like documentation is very important for showing the reasoning behind providing skilled services. Listeners, please stay tuned while we take a quick commercial break. Now that PDPM is here, do you have a game plan for ongoing success? 
ANAC's PDPM game plan includes more than 80 pages of interactive and downloadable tools, as well as checklists and tips, all in one convenient resource. Order yours today at anac.org backslash PDPM game plan. Welcome back. Let's continue our discussion with Jane Bell, Curriculum Development Specialist with ANAC, about direct and indirect skilled services. Jane, you mentioned earlier some examples of indirect nursing or rehabilitation services. Would you describe those for us? Sure, absolutely. And I know people are tired of hearing this, but I'm going back to Chapter 8. It's how we help to figure out, is this skilled or not? Now, and I, I do believe the hardest thing folks have to do is figure out these indirect skilled services. So I'm going to start off with those. And the first bucket, there's three of them. The first bucket is management and evaluation of a patient care plan. The resident's physical, mental condition requires services that involve skilled nursing personnel even though the actual delivery of those services might not need skilled personnel. They might be provided by the nursing assistant. But when you put all these non-skilled services together, that adds up to a need for skilled management and evaluation when the resident could likely experience a changing condition without the interventions that those nursing assistants are providing. So the medical record is denoting the likely potential for serious complications without skilled management. The sec each one of the sections in Chapter 8 has multiple examples, and I'm just going to try to give you real brief overviews of them to kind of maybe make that management and evaluation a bit clearer. Here we have an elderly resident. He's recovering from pneumonia, lethargic, disoriented, and exhibiting residual chest congestion. The resident is debilitated and confined to bed. Because of the chest congestion, the physician orders frequent changes in positions, coughing and deep breathing. Well, you'd say, well, okay, they're congested, but the fact for that resident, congestion isn't their only problem. That's not the only thing making them at a high risk for a complication. What else is going on? He, the resident is immobile, confused, again, creating a higher potential for a relapse. So skilled oversight of the non-skilled services would be reasonable and necessary while that chest congestion, until that chest congestion is eliminated. And that's what the documentation would need to show. The involvement of the skilled nursing personnel was needed to promote recovery, make sure the resident was safe, considering their overall condition. Number two of indirect is observation and assessment of a patient's condition. Pretty much what the title says. The services are skilled when there's a likelihood that a change in the resident condition requires skilled nursing or rehab personnel to identify, evaluate the need for possible modification. 
to the treatment plan. Or maybe we need to add new treatments, new procedures, until they've stabilized. So here the example is an 85-year-old man who was in the hospital for pneumonia. The infection was resolved, but the resident was not eating adequately as he had been before. So the hospital, you know, they're not eating. They're going to send this to us. So they sent him back to the facility for monitoring of intake and also to monitor for the possible need for a tube feeding. So what skills do we need? We've got to observe and monitor his oral intake to make sure he's not becoming dehydrated. The nursing assistant isn't going to determine dehydration. The nurse, the skills of the nurse are. And even if this resident did not develop a further complication, the skilled observation skills would be covered if there's a reasonable probability, likely possibility for such a complication. And again, the medical record would need to show such things like, you know, perhaps signs and symptoms, abnormal vital signs, weight changes, edema, abnormal lab values, respiratory changes on auscultation. And then finally, the third bucket for indirect is teaching and training. And probably most people are very, you know, used to this one. But just as the title says, it's requiring skilled nursing or skilled rehab personnel to teach a resident how to manage their treatment regimen. And, you know, they give examples, nothing new here, self-administration of injectable meds, teaching a new diabetic how to give insulin, how to follow a diet, prepare the diet, foot care precautions, someone with a recent colostomy or ileostomy teaching them how to change the bag and how to care for the stoma. Self-catheterization for someone that, you know, is having um, difficulty avoiding. How to manage a G-tube feeding at home. For these efforts, the documentation would need to show, describe would be a better word, describe what was taught to the resident or their caregiver. and then. How did they respond to the training? You, you know, when we give training, there's always a kind of return demonstration. Did they get it? And if, in fact, the training maybe didn't achieve the success that was needed, then the documentation is going to have to spell out what happened. If I'm not mistaken, the direct skilled nursing services are a bit more spelled out. What are some examples of those services, Jane? Sure, I can spell those out because of, you know, my favorite chapter eight and it's section 30.3. But again, what I keep referring back to in my mind as I think through these services, they must be so inherently complex that they've got to be performed by or under the supervision of professional or technical personnel. Now, again, these are just examples. And just because it's an example doesn't mean, well, if I do that, they're skilled for sure. No, that's your documentation is going to have to prove that. 
but these are guidelines for lack of a better description. So here we go, IV or intramuscular injections, intravenous feedings, enteral feedings, tube feedings that comprise at least 26% of the daily calorie requirements and it provides at least 501 cc's of fluid per day. Nasopharyngeal and tracheotomy suctioning. And again, these all would be daily. Daily application of dressings involving prescription meds and aseptic techniques. Treatment of pressure ulcers of a severity rated at stage three or worse, or some widespread skin disorder. Heat treatments, if they're ordered by a physician as part of active treatment. Rehab nursing procedures, like teaching adaptive aspects of nursing. How could they do this at home? So like the institution and supervision of bowel and bladder training programs. But that teaching requires skilled nursing. Initial phases of a regimen involving medical gases, bronchodilators, oxygen, care of a colostomy. But again, this is during the early post-op period in the presence of associated complications. The need for that skilled care during the period must be justified and documented in the medical record. Again, document, document, document. <laughs> Thank you for that rundown, Jane. Do you have any final thoughts on direct and indirect skilled services? Well, I guess, again, I, I, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but again, that decision about to skill or not isn't up to one person on the interdisciplinary team. That's why we meet, that's why we discuss, because what the resident might be doing well for one discipline, they're not doing well for another. Maybe the wound's not healed. I mean, we gotta talk about it. We've got to basically compare notes. And we really want to make sure and be very careful that the resident's really ready to be cut from their benefits. Those residents worked hard for those benefits. They're, you know, that they deserve whatever benefits we can give to them that are legitimate and legal and all that good stuff because they earned them. So we want to make sure that they can use them, whether that might be in the facility or outside in the community. And one other quick thought, I just hit my brain here is that on the ANAC website, we do have a tool and it's called Medicare Part A, Skilled or Not. And just to also add a note that this will be updated as of October 1st when the new payment model goes into place. Thank you for your time today, Jane. This information is very helpful to our audience in determining which residents should be classified as needing skilled care. Listeners, thank you for joining LTC NAC Chat today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a future update. For more resources and tools, please visit the ANAC website at www.aanac.org.